UFM. Support for WERU comes from Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors magazine, covering Maine's boats, harbors, arts, and architecture since 1987. Bringing the coast as close as the mailbox, on the web at maineboats.com. And the time is one minute past 10 o'clock. This is Community Radio, WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill and 102.9 in Bangor. We'd like to thank Michelle Berger in Surrey for her membership renewal. If you have not renewed your membership, give us a call at 1-800-643-6273. Stay tuned for Boat Talk. Sitting on the sloop, John B. My granddaddy and me around this hotel we did room. We've been drinking all night, and then we got in a fight. That's not, not our usual theme song for Boat Talk. You probably realize that. That's Johnny Hoy. Johnny Hoy and the Bluefish are going to be in the area on Friday. Johnny Hoy doing Sloop John B. But nonetheless, it is time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WRU-FM Blue Hill, 89.9, 102.9 in Bangor. We usually start off Boat Talk with a with a pun or two, and uh, sometimes those puns are a bit of an eggamagan reach. Some sound... And some are just a rogue's bluff. I'm a, yep. That, that's Mike Joyce over there. He's the handsome one. I'm Alan Sprague. I'm the suave one. And we're here today with the great one, Mr. Giffy Fulls, back with us again. And we're also joined by the uh, designer and, uh, for, well, I guess we'd say past proprietor of the world's longest canoe here, Howard Whitten. For uh, one hour, all kinds of boating uh, discussions and questions, and uh, this is a call-in show. I'll give you the number right now if you want to write it down, one 625 9378 We have a whole raft of issues to discuss today. Morning, Howard. Morning, Giffy. Pull Morning. that uh, microphone right up to you there, Howard. You want to snuggle right up to that thing. The way we uh, like to run boat talk, anybody can wander through the shop here and, uh, you know, kick the keel, and, and we'll stop to talk to anybody, basically. And uh, the... Uh, the folks that are sitting in here, uh, you know, Howard's in to talk about the world's longest canoe, but as far as uh, we're concerned, anybody can chime in at any time. And again, the number one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. We got all kinds of stuff to talk about this morning. The boat school down to Eastport, the world's longest canoe, and uh, what kind of naval issues you might want to contemplate. You know, it's summertime, it's the boat time, and, you know, uh, we'll take a call about anything. So that's boat talk. We're at the crest of the season, as it were. And, uh, well, you know, we do have all kinds of things, like a book review this morning. Uh, just got back from a boat delivery. Had kind of an interesting boat delivery on a Morris 47 up from uh, Annapolis, Maryland. We got on the boat, which had been sitting for a year or so. The fellow has Alzheimer's, and he can't, uh, you know, can't use the boat anymore. 
So uh, when we first left, we couldn't get it going more than three and a half knots. And, uh, you know, we immediately diagnosed that the propeller was probably kind of... Kind of as covered with barnacles and grass. Yes, it was, and so was the keel and the rudder. So we turned around had to find a diver in Annapolis, Maryland on Sunday night. That was pretty <laughs> <All> fun. <laughs> you we go you know, to a dive, don't We got you? all that, and, uh, you know, we get underway. We had a, we had a lovely trip. We ate like kings. Uh, we had that week of weather at the end of June is oh, when we yeah. were doing it. Uh, torrential downpours, lots of lightning, uh, thick fog, everything. But we also had a 40-knot uh, against the tide bash out of the Delaware Bay that turned a bunch of other boats around, including a big schooner full of kids. And uh, something that interested me, the Delaware Bay, between the uh, Delaware Canal and uh, the entrance to Delaware Bay, must pass two dozen ships, um, tankers, cargo ships, car, car carriers, uh, you know, any, anything you could think of. Just queuing up. Uh, there were a dozen of them anchored at the mouth of the bay, and the rest mm-hmm. of them were, you know, just one at a time coming up and down, you know. And uh, a lot, a lot of boat traffic, not an American flag in sight. Yeah. Yeah. All those boats are from places that you don't even – some of them are written on the side of the boats in foreign letters in places you've never even heard of. Yeah. And, uh, you know, wasn't a foreign flag in the uh, – wasn't a uh, American flag in the bunch there, and it just kind of gets you thinking sometimes, let alone, the, you know, the voices on the radios. A lot of work for pilots. So anyway, that was our, our – uh, the other thing that was cool about that delivery was um, there, the boat was sitting in a creek in Annapolis, Maryland for a long time, and it had wasp nests in the, snow, in the stow boom and, uh, you know, sp- plant matter in the scuppers and, and uh, spider webs. Now, we had a lot of weather, okay? We had a big bash, put the rail right in the water getting out of the Delaware Bay, and in the middle of the Gulf of Maine, you notice these exquisite spider webs. In, in like the lifelines and under the turning block, okay, and a little little uh, spider house in a in a cave there, and that guy his his web bashed yeah. right through that. Oh yeah, there was a bunch of them. And it was very impressive. The uh, the spider the marine spider webs. I was I was very impressed by the engineering. Well, yeah, I guess spider webs, you know, for their size are amazingly strong material, especially when you think about you know nowadays when we make these aramid fibers and Kevlar and all that sort of stuff. Spider webs with even greater strength per size are made with all organic materials at room temperature and wicked stretchy and also uh, you know adhesive as well. A miracle. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, but, you know, when we found them, we had to introduce them to the Gulf of Maine, so they can't stay on the boat. one 625 is Boat Talk this morning. Giffy, I'm wondering, uh, little Jim, you got little Jim in the water. Oh, yeah. How yeah. do you use that? What's your, uh, pa- what do you use it for? What's your, uh, how do you go boating nowadays in your senior? Well, I don't like to tell the truth. I haven't hardly used it nah, yet. That's what I was afraid of. Uh-oh. Between the weather and other... Responsibilities uh, hasn't been used much, but I'm going to get with it here within a week. Kind of heard that story before. Yeah, um, it yeah. struck me, you know, my whole career around boats that most of them are just sitting there all the time, and we're building new ones every day, and you know, uh, it kind of makes you wonder. So anyway, that's 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 correct. It's, but uh, the weather—it's been an unusual wet spring. And a lot of boats have been way, way behind. Yeah. Way behind. Let's go for a boat ride is all I can say. Yeah. I haven't been doing enough of that myself. We uh, hopefully are going to talk to Dean Pike this morning, and uh, I think Joel is getting him on the uh, phone right now. Dean is the uh, chief instructor down to the boat school in Eastport, Maine. Now, we've been talking about the boat school uh, right along here on Boat Talk. We are big fans of the boat school and the fact that the uh, marine industry in the state of Maine, boat building as manufacturing uh, segment of the economy, it's the, only, it's the only segment that's growing. 
It's booming. It's Pardon booming. It's healthy. We have a worldwide reputation, and they can't get enough good help. And a lot of the kids around here grow up not knowing anything about yachts or even boats in general. There was a story in the paper the other day of a, a boat camp they had down to Maine Maritime Academy. A kid from from uh, the backside of Mount Desert Island, West Tremont. He's got kids, friends that he knows that are lobster fishermen and stuff, but he'd never been rowing before. You know, he doesn't That's know amazing. nothing about boats, and now he's really interested in being a tugboat skipper. So, you know, if you plant a uh, seed with a kid at an early age, Howard, who's sitting here as a uh, high school teacher, I guess you might know something about that. It's interesting, I imagine, what sticks with them and, and what doesn't, what, what is, uh, you know, can be an influence and... In, uh, yeah, you never know. You, you never know. You you may have a, a certain plan, but then something off the cuff comes up, and that's what that kid will remember. So expose them to the boats. And expose them to yeah. as much as possible, I guess, would be a good thing. We don't have Dean on the phone quite yet. Um, Joel will still try that, I guess. And uh, Anyway, the boat school down to Eastport, uh, there is an organization down there called the Friends of the Boat School, and you can check this out at boatschool.org, theboatschool.org. And uh, they have just come up with this uh, new plan. They want to get an endowment fund, a million-dollar endowment, the John Pike Grady Fund, they're calling it. He's an old local character down there, John Pike Grady. And uh, he's lending his name to it. They also have got a grant for uh, $25,000 to study the role of the boat school. A representative from Callis got that bill through. The governor appropriated $210,000 of operating funds. And... uh, the, uh, a lot of head shaking going on in the other room. The uh, program at the boat school was formerly a two-year program. Last year there were eight people in the program. Uh, five of them have decided to come back. They've cut the program back to one year. They have 22 applications, and they have eight people signed up so far for this year. So they have students. There is a fantastic need for the thing. Again, the main boat building industry uh, can't get enough quality help. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it seems like there ought to be some sort of way that the boat building companies can put a little bit into it and uh, sort of, <clears throat> well, not quite indentured servants, but uh, you know, have a little uh, insider connection to the people when they graduate from these schools to be able to have them work at their companies and make it pay back. Yeah, Joel's nodding his head now. Do we have Dean Pike on the phone? No, we have, we have we two don't, other phone calls. But we calls have two on. other phone calls. Let's, well, let's go right start to that. there. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. I think I'm on. You are. Hey, hey, David in Belfast. Hey, David. And I can stick with the themes that you guys have been talking about. I did a boat delivery from uh, Chesapeake Bay up to Connecticut. And uh, when I was going through the Delaware Canal, going at uh, 10 knots was amazing. And going through Hell's Gate up by on the East River of Manhattan at uh, 10 and a half knots, too, was totally an amazing experience. That's a great way to see New York City from the water, is, it is my is. opinion. What a sight. It was amazing going up along Manhattan. It was, it was fabulous. Were you in a powerboat? No, a sailboat. Going 10 knots through Hills Gate. You were, yeah. had, it, had it really cranked right over, didn't you? Well, we had six knots of our own boat speed, and then the rest was well, the current. Yeah, right, going out. So, yeah. And I uh, just wanted to rave about uh, full moon rowing with uh, come boating last night in Belfast Harbor. The uh, moonrise was spectacular, and just wanted to rave a little bit about come boating. And we're talking about educating young people, and part of come boating's mission is to just help people get out on the water, young people, adults, anybody. Um, you can row, you know, just about or six days a week, and uh, they have sailboats and sailing lessons and. 
it's, I think, an underutilized, uh, totally big treasure on mid-coast Maine, and it's really fun rowing in the gigs. So just thought I would cheer about that a little bit. And I didn't look up the telephone number to tell people it would have been a good thing to have done. But, yeah, that's just what I was uh, thinking, too. But we've talked about Cumboding in the past here, one of a number of local uh, get-out-on-the-water organizations around here, Rockland, Southwest Harbor, Belfast, in this case. And, uh, you know, they're all very approachable. If you want to skinny up to these people, they're very easy to talk oh, to, yeah. and you'll be in a boat rowing something before you know it. And a little announcement is the uh, sign-up is now outside the boat shed instead of at the harbor master's office. Um, there's a mailbox there, so 24-7 people can uh, go there instead of having to wait till the harbor master's office. All right, open. yes, there are boat sheds right there on the main street, right? Uh, right down by the harbor. Yeah. Yep, by the, I, I believe that young people should learn to row before they even learn to sail. Yeah. And um, it... I think that's a great way to go. Uh, I don't know too much about programs with a gig, but I I believe in a good rowing boat, mm-hmm. one that rows well and that they learn to row properly. I see a lot of people today in uh, inflatables. They're, they're ah. not a rowing machine anyhow. Oh, dear. <laughs> and... Uh, they don't know how to feather their oars, and it looks like uh, they're trying to beat the seagulls down. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think awesome. any program like that is is very good. I'd encourage it anywhere. It's a good way to start off. And then, like down in Brooklyn, they have a sailing program for kids that started, oh, about three, four years ago. And it's it's a good program, and I support anything like that. Oh, yeah. Especially rowing with three or five other people and really enhances your sense of teamwork and you know, working with other people. It's a wonderful way to row with other people. Well, that, that should follow, uh, my belief should follow learning to row by yourself. Uh-huh. Yeah. Five people learning a different lesson in the same boat would be an interesting <laughs> problem, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'll get off. The, that's not a criticism. That's just an observation. Yeah. Right, so. Thanks for the call this morning, Thank David. Thank you guys for doing it. Yeah, right. phone's Bye. ringing here this morning. It is one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Let's see who else is there. Uh, miss, Mr. Mike, this is Gray. Good over morning, Hancock. Gray. Hey, Gray. How you doing? Good. Alan and Giffy and all the crew. Um, I got a question. Change the subject a little bit. Uh, you know, this time of year we are uh, are treated to uh, an excess of obnoxious interruptions in our radio program from the National Weather Service, warning us to get inside and stay away from rain and hail and all that stuff. Uh, but they never say anything about if you're on the water anywhere, what to do. And so I would like to hear you guys speak, uh, spout a little bit on uh, the, the dangers of electrical storms while you're on the water, like. If you're in a canoe and, and on a lake, let's say, and lightning strikes somewhere in the lake, are you, if your hand is in the water, you're going to get electrocuted, blah, blah, blah. I don't think you do because you're not grounded. But uh, I'm just curious about, uh, about, about that because we never hear, at least on the, the land uh, warnings, about, about electrical storms. Hey, uh, if you watched the news last night, you don't have a TV, I know, Gray, but uh, a bunch of houses got hit and caught on fire last night from some of the storms traveling around. I would say don't do what we just did. I just spent a week of intense lightning uh, coming up from Annapolis, starting with when the diver dude showed up from Baltimore to jump into the water. It was a lightning storm, and he just looked around, and 
he jumped in and I said, is that safe? He goes, well, you know, probably not. So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, uh, and I stood there with a metal-tipped umbrella attending him on the dock. And I, I wasn't going to get off the dock when if he wasn't going to get out of the water, and I wasn't very happy about that, but we did it. And we, uh, we motor-sailed through a number of lightning storms, uh, you know, just uh, on our way, hoping for the best. And, and, uh, but I don't think you can. Uh, certain things are more attractive to lightning than others. Um, it's seeking a path to ground, and you don't want to be on that path. Right. But if you're in the water, let's say in a canoe, and your hand's over the side and... and you know, if you're if you're not in, if you're in the canoe, you're insulated from the water, and I would think you'd be safe, just like in a car on, with rubber tires, you're insulated from the ground, and if a uh, power line falls on your car, you you won't get electrocuted. Um, but uh, if your hand is in the water, I wouldn't try it. I wouldn't. Neither would I. But no. I'm just curious if any of you guys know. And I would think I, I don't really know what I'm talking about as far as lakes and canoes and ponds and so forth, but. If I was in, around a, a bad lightning storm, I'd, I'd lay down the canoe. That's a good idea. Yeah, I'd lay what, down in it. What about aluminum canoes? They must be a special problem. Oh, here. get off the lake immediately and try to be quiet about it, too. <laughs> yeah. Here's a good story for you. This is from uh, one of my favorite uh, glass men. He was uh, working in the shop one day, and it was a great little lightning storm, and he went to the door to enjoy that. And uh, how should I politely say, he was relieving himself out the door. Oh, and when he regained consciousness on the floor, um, he was pretty much all right after that. But if you think about that path to ground, uh, you might not want to do that. So. Mm. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Raised, raised his voice a few octaves. <laughs> <laughs> I've taken care of a number of boats that were struck by lightning. And uh, it's... I, I think it can be a very serious thing. I took care of one boat where the owner was knocked out of the boat by lightning and knocked unconscious. Into the took, water? No, he he was uh, laying over the outboard. Mm. Uh-huh. Uh, it was a outboard auxiliary on the boat, and he was literally knocked out of the boat and was laying across the outboard motor. And... The other people in the boat, of course, hauled him back in the boat. But it took him about a month to get squared away again. He was yeah, like having a shock. He couldn't walk well. He couldn't speak well. He he was more fortunate. And uh, and and the, of course, the problem was the boat. The boat uh, was a fiberglass sailboat, about twenty eight eight feet, and it had never had lightning grounds put on it. Uh-huh. Seems to me to be a bit of luck and voodoo involved here. On the news last night, there was a lady uh, uh, sitting in her armchair reading a magazine, and lightning come down and exploded her lamp. Yeah, lightning is a, is a witchy, witchy phenomenon. Yeah, I, you know, makes me nervous, And uh, but there I was standing on the dock with a pointed uh, umbrella because, like I say, that guy was in the water. I couldn't get off the dock, so. If yeah, I could, uh, and we lived. Well, we if I could do, point something out. You may, Art. It, it's just not the electricity you have to worry about. That To me, that would be the least of my problems. Uh, I had lightning hit the ground in front of me and blew out doors on a building. It's the concussion, the the... The power of that right. hit. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a student in North Carolina playing basketball and was struck. And make a long story short, he died several times. And he was, I know all children are great, but he was the worst student you could ever imagine. He was rude, obnoxious, never did anything. He survived all that. He was back in school six months later, polite, 
Charming. <laughs> he did his homework. Huh? And when I suggested at a faculty meeting that maybe we should electrocute well, all lessons the could possibly be drawn. Yeah. 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 Well, that sounds like an argument for electrical shock therapy. <laughs> there but there's all, the trouble is that this is all kinds of situations with, with lightning that, you know, just unbelievable and the best thing to do is keep away from it yeah that would be my my thing but i thought you guys might have some specific knowledge but uh, the message is out there maybe somebody will call up i've been on more than one boat that was struck by lightning but the boat had proper grounds and there was no problem with it at all well they talk about in the old sailing days of uh you know st elmo's fire running all over the the rigging and the and the yards and stuff of the old boat old sailing boats so so there's a lot of electrical phenomena that yeah. apparently don't kill you but, yeah, i've uh, seen that once i've seen that once in my life sailing in the gulf of mexico was it was it a raining thunderstorm or was it just a no no, no just heard a, no it's a, just a moist night and and, and that stuff was sort of floating off all the rigging. I'd never seen it before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh. If you uh, get a chance to experiment with that electrical therapy, Greg, get back to us, okay? Uh, okay, well, uh, don't hold your breath. <laughs> okay, thanks, guys. Bye. Thank, Thank you. you, Greg. Phone's ringing here this morning. We're doing boat talk. We got Giffy Full and uh, Howard Witten in, uh, proprietor of the world's longest canoe. We'll get to uh, all that, but we'll answer the phone first. Good morning. Who's standing by? Hey, this is Sean. Morning, Sean. What's up? I just wanted to share with you, you had a misconception on the air there. The, uh, the car tires, yeah. they don't do a thing for you. What, ha- what protects you when you're in the car is the metal cage surrounding you. The lightning will hit that, travel all around you, and won't come inside. So as far as how that relates to boats, yeah. I don't know. But, Stay uh, in the car, though, is always a good thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. And if I could say something again. Oh, anytime. I, in basic training in Lackland, uh, Texas, I was riding a bus. And lightning blew out the back window and came in and hit two of the seats. Wow. So lightning will come into a vehicle, trust me. Hmm. I fixed uh, a uh, John Alden sloop for a fellow who uh, got hit by lightning over in Blue Hill. I I, uh, laminated a a big uh, zero-gauge cable into it for a lightning uh, diffuser on the top of the mast. He wouldn't buy one. He says, what do you think I need one of those for? You were struck by lightning. I can't judge whether you're, you know, feel safe from now on. And uh, I don't know how that's worked out. So best of luck to us all. All right. Well, thank you for that little bit of information. And we have another caller. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hi. This is Karen with Casting Kayak. Oh, hi, Karen. Hi. I'm calling about your um, lightning in canoes and kayaks. Enlighten Um, us. Yeah, we run a guide training program, and lightning can really be dangerous in a kayak or a canoe. Um, so the first thing you want to do is, if they're predicting lightning, is stay near land. Um, the second is every five seconds equals a mile off. So if lightning is six miles off, you want to be off the water. Or even 12 miles off golf courses or clearing. So Now, what five seconds are you talking about there, in between the thunder and the lightning? In between the thunder and yep. the lightning. If you can count, you know, one, one thousand, two, one thousand... You know, five seconds equals a mile. At six miles, you definitely want to be off the water. And I would suggest 12 miles off. So if you can count to 30, that's six miles. If yeah. you can count to 60, um, that's 12 miles off. Perfect. And Perfect. Paul says if you can hear thunder, you're within range of being struck. Mm-hmm. Karen, let's imagine we're caught, though. Okay, it happens. Uh, right. What's the casting kayaks policy? Well, 
if we were in the middle, we wouldn't be in the middle of the water because we can see where storms are coming from. It's really good to know your area and know which direction the storm is coming from. But putting your hand in the water, if you were in your boat and it was thundering and lightning, lightning can travel across that surface of water. You know how um, all those whirly gig bugs, you know, sit on the surface of the water? There's, yeah. a, there's a tension on the top of the water, and lightning can travel on that. So certainly the guy who was swimming in the water shouldn't have been. Um, if you see lightning coming, what you need to do is get to land, get in a protected area, insulate yourself from the ground because lightning also travels on the ground. So your life jacket is a great insulator. So you can sit on your life jacket on the ground. Um, you know, you don't want to be on tree roots because it can travel on tree roots. My life jacket's usually wet. Uh-huh. Well, it's still going to insulate you from the ground. Yeah? Yeah, it's still going to insulate you. You want to be off the ground. Um, so, yeah, as far as being, and the guy who said get low in your canoe, that was, you know, I would certainly get low because you'd be out in the middle of the water, so you're a great target. Yeah. Good um, advice, Karen. Glad yeah. you called this morning. How's the summer for casting kayaks? Great. It's been a little foggy, hasn't it? Well, the What's fog your fog policy? People get caught in the fog. Uh, not everybody's used to that. Well, if you don't know how to navigate, then you should stay put. I see. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to make another comment, if I may. Sure. Particularly as it, it pertains to kayakers, because I've had some problems with kayakers. You have? Yeah. In Are a you in a motorboat? <laughs> um, I, I think uh, kayaking groups are fine, but in, in, in foggy weather, they should have some kind of a radar reflector. Right, and uh, I'm with the Maine Sea Kayak Guides Association, and we did a radar study about kayaks showing up. The first thing is, is we teach kayakers to make short crossings where motorboats can't go. And if we do a crossing where motorboats are, then we need to call a security call to find out if there's any boats in the area. What we did find about radar reflectors is most people that are looking at radar screens, lobstermen or um, pleasure boaters, tend to not look in a close enough area, even if we are using a radar reflector. So when motorboats are traveling in the fog, they need to look at a closer screen instead of a, you know, a larger radar screen. You can change the range from like a quarter of a mile, half mile, mile, two miles, exactly. four miles, eight miles, 16 miles. Exactly. 16 miles screen is not going to make much of a blip for a kayak. Right. And even and at short, they tend to look like sea clutter often. Right. And one of the things that I experienced is I was on a lobster boat with a friend and a motorboat came in our screen and he didn't pick it up on his radar, and the boat did have a radar reflector, not a kayak, a motorboat, and it was blending in with an island in the background because the screen was not um, a close enough range also. It assumes everybody is looking at the radar, they know what they're looking at, that they're right. listening to the security call, that they even know what that is. And yeah. you know, You're presuming uh, not everybody out there is... is uh, Right. Equally competent, which is, you know, interesting Well, and everybody sometimes. needs that education. The kayakers need to be educated to not be crossing in fog and where to cross safely, where motorboats can't go. And the motorboats need to be educated about listening, scanning the radios for those security calls and responding back when someone calls and really always having a lookout. Um, so we do teach to cross. I, with my groups, we always cross the shortest crossing, um, People that don't know how to navigate, if they're caught out in a kayak on an island and they really don't know where land is and they don't know how to navigate, one, they probably shouldn't be out there, but two, they should stay put until the fog clears. And fog generally comes in with the tide and goes back out with the tide.
in general. Mm -hmm. So if you kind of wait for it, you might wait days, but... It does slow your business down a little, is that fair to say? Um, actually, when it's foggy um, in Castine, we have a lot of choices. We don't really get thick blankets of fog. We can stay along the shoreline. We can paddle um, on the harbor side. When I'm running trips in the fog, we stay on the land side. Um, so, And it's also a real pleasure boat harbor, so we don't have a lot of working boats in Castine Harbor. Um, so actually the fog is quite um, beautiful. I tell you, Karen, if I could only have one boat, I think it would have to be a kayak. Absolutely. Just, you know, butt boat paddle. It doesn't get any simpler than that. And one of my favorite things, there's a, a great book. I think it's called uh, Small Boats Improbable Journeys, about some of the great and not so great small boat journeys of all time. They point out that a lot of the museums, local museums up in the uh, uh, northwestern uh, Europe area, Scotland, uh, the Orkney Islands, all that, they have old kayaks that were retrieved from like the 1300s, 800 or so. Right. A lot of those kayaks had living people in them when they were blown over there. Those, those hunters hunted their way across the Atlantic. They, they were fine. Some, there was a story in that book where uh, some natives saw this strange boat with a guy slumped over in it. They went down to see what it was. They come right up to him. The guy come alert and disappeared uh, faster than they could believe. You know, they couldn't catch him. And, wow. Uh, yeah, kayaks can be very fast. Ex they can be extraordinarily seaworthy, too. What's in the, the right name hands. of that book again? Small, I believe it's Small Boats Improbable Journeys. I, I think that's it. I can't think of the author to save my life. Yeah, the Inuits would put their whole families in their kayaks. They had large, in fact, they have a really nice one at the um, Orono Museum, at the, um, you know, the museum that's at the University of Maine. Yeah. They have an old Inuit kayak there, and they would actually put their wives and kids in the kayaks and head out. And oh, hunt. yeah. Could I suggest one more book, Karen, that has uh, got, yeah. got some kayaks in it? It's called, uh, one of my absolute favorites, uh, Rowing to Latitude, Jill Fredson. She and her husband are uh, avalanche uh, experts in Alaska, and they spend their summers rowing high latitude, one in a rowing shell and the other in a kayak. And, really? Uh, she, got, she was going rowing backwards, and he, she got him to turn around in the kayak and uh, row backwards, too. They do uh, the coast of Labrador. They do the coast of Greenland, that sort of thing. Nice. Uh, extraordinarily capable people doing very dangerous trips with... with uh, it seems the greatest of ease. Uh, rowing to Latitude, Jill Fredson. Highly, that highly recommended. That's great. Yeah. So he's paddling backwards the whole way? I think he turned around and got a, uh, a skull rowing rig, too. Huh. Yeah. I have to admit, I like seeing where I'm going. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, I like the kayak. I can see where I'm going, and there's no more peaceful way to be in the environment. Yeah. Anyway, check those out, and we thank you for calling this morning. Yeah, and everybody be careful out there with the yeah. lightning. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you, Karen. Thank you. Never know who's going to come by Boat Talk, and nobody's waiting on the phone right now, and oh. that's just a fine thing. We can give the phone number and talk about all kinds of stuff. Well, while we're on the subject of uh, big kayaks, why don't we slip over to big canoes? Big canoes, close big, enough. We got Howard problem. Witten in with us this morning. Howard's a uh, science teacher up to Nokomis High School, and something called the, uh, where have I got it here, the Ar Honor Science Research Class. That sounds like something I might be interested in. They, uh, you got up this idea to build the world's biggest canoe. Uh, take it from there, Howard. What the heck were you thinking about? Why? Obviously, I wasn't. <laughs> uh, well, I, I figured I was an expert. It took me 25 years to build my wood strip canoe. I've been working on a ship in a bottle for over 30, so there you go. I obviously know it all. A very patient boat builder. Uh, yeah, but when it came to this, uh, my brother-in-law, a sea captain, recently became paralyzed, and uh, I wanted to take him duck hunting. And then it occurred to all of us, as he's in his chair, we can't do this very easily. And not only 
can't we do it with him but there are lots of people who can't return to do their hunting and fishing like they used to because there aren't any suitable platforms so we uh my students and i were talking about that and make a real long story short we uh found a discarded pontoon boat base with trees growing on it and uh (laughs) we immediately knew we had to raise funds and uh wanted to keep it nautical and uh, they said well you can build canoes let's build a canoe and I got thinking about the modular system in this planet. Everything now is built in modulars, units. Uh, and I just sat down and did some scribbles and bounced it off an engineer who works for a major canoe company in the state of Maine uh, who chose not to support us. And uh, mm-hmm. it passed his uh, judgment, and uh, we did it. I'm guessing these modules must be eight feet uh, around a piece of plywood. The boat was uh, 149 feet and one inch long. Um, how many sections? And describe a single module. It's uh, not just a. It's not just a square box. Describe a single module. Yeah, it sort of looks like a coffin floating in the water. <laughs> uh, it has a flat bottom about 30 inches, and then it angles out at 45 for about six, and then comes up 90 degree angle. Um, and they're eight feet long. We tried to keep it cheap, simple. Uh, two sheets of half-inch plywood, uh, and it's very hard to get any plywood nowadays. You can put a screw in without ruining it, yeah. the plywood. But So keeping all that in mind, uh, we came up with a simple design. Uh, Fifty bucks in materials would actually build a unit, and we bolted 18 units together. Plus our uh, bow and stern. Now you've got different people to build uh, to build their own units and sponsor them. They could paint them any color they wanted, and uh... there were some beautiful looking sections there. Absolutely gorgeous uh, handiwork. And then there were sections like the ones I built. Well, Howard, uh, on the TV news, uh, they have footage of of your outing there. It was a hundred yard paddle. 36 paddlers lasted four minutes. The bottom of one section fell out of the middle, apparently, and so did the people. (laughs) Uh, You won't see any transatlantic crossings with this unit, that's for sure. But I I do want to add that, yeah, that was good footage, and yes, they had fun. That happened to be Unity College. Oh, well, kids, they don't know nothing. I don't really need to say much more. They're there to learn. uh, they, They were having fun in their section, uh, safe, oh. clean fun. But once we declared the record had been broken, uh, they decided to go ahead and make it easier to carry it back to Unity College by... Uh, Jumping up and down. Yeah, it. kind of flexing it <laughs> apart and breaking it. And, but it, it would have lasted uh, a long time had that section not <laughs> exploded. And, hey, you could just unbolt that section anyway. It's modular. All the sections now are all across the state. Uh, when you had a section, you sponsored it. It's yours to do as you please. Uh, the section for my students is going to be a drying cabinet for taxidermy this Excellent. next year. Excellent. So it'll be there forever. Now, there's a, uh, as you say, a handicapped boating tie-in here, Shades of Raw Faith, which we talk about uh, around here on a fairly regular basis, but probably not this morning. Um, as you say, uh, handicapped people hard pressed to get out on the water, and you can now on a pontoon boat. Absolutely perfect. Take them for boat rides, and as you say, hunting and fishing as well. Um, why not? And where are you at with your pontoon boat? The pontoon boat has a new floor, carpet, railing, um, 
yesterday I went out and bought a couple things that people say we need, like an anchor and uh, flares and life preservers. Yes, you need to be legal. <laughs> what, what we desperately need is a motor. We don't have that yet. And I was, with our the way our funds are being raised, you know, selling cookies, T-shirts, hats, um, we just don't have major funding for a motor. Uh, so I figured if we could get the rest of the boat ready, maybe someone out there would feel sorry for us and, and let us at least borrow a motor for a season. And How can people get a hold of you? They can uh, get a hold of me at Nokomis High School, 368-4354. They can go to the website that we had for this canoe, Canoe. Dot com. Predictably enough, yep. wonderful. Uh, I was shocked nobody had that name. <laughs> uh, the the gentleman who's doing our website, unfortunately, is ill, and uh, so our site hasn't been updated in a while, but all the information about how to contact me is there. Yep. And uh, we are a nonprofit. Uh, the kids are starting a separate nonprofit group called the Maine Association for Disabled Sportsmen, MADS, because they were really mad we kept getting turned down on grants and major corporate sponsorships. and So it made them mad. Mm. So they and you, you were out there. You tried that L.L. Bean, uh, Old Town Canoe. I mean, you, you made the rounds, didn't you? We made the rounds. How'd that, how'd that work out for you and leave you feeling? Uh, another time, another show. There you go. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I want to keep it as positive as I can, but i got to tell you, I'm, I'm very angry inside about the corporations in this state that claim to be here for us. And in my opinion, they're not, obviously, they're business. And uh, um, as I get more into the handicap situation, and we all should be advocates for the handicap, uh, it's amazing how many doors are closed to them. Uh, when's the last time you looked at a catalog with a handicapped person in it? Mm. Uh, a friend of mine had a very <laughs> bad car accident, and I sat in her chair and tried to make her housework for her. And I ended up making uh, uh, boat grab rails, okay, a bunch of single bay boat grab rails, and I screwed them everywhere around her house, bathroom door frame, by the toilet, by the, yeah. you know. And uh, you're right, it is, it it, is quite yeah, a challenge, amazing. and you need to sit down and try that to really get the idea. You lose your mobility, boy, you haven't got very much. Yeah, and that, that was the... That kept getting lost at times. Uh, people started to get more excited about building the canoe itself, which was fun. Um, but the cause was more important to me. And uh, I think we've come a long ways in our little effort. And uh, I'm glad everybody had a great time with the canoe. Uh, I, I'm, I don't think I'll make it to David Letterman. Uh, it wasn't that big a deal. But uh, We haven't even mentioned the Guinness World Book of Records yet because <laughs> they were there, right? I mean, you're, you're in. Well, they is me. Uh, the way Guinness works, they don't send people. They send uh, you a, a novel of requirements. And so I was the Guinness, and uh, I'm putting it all together, all the documentation and measurements and all that. Including a CD copy of Boat Talk this morning and Especially. hopefully file footage from the TV stations, which have been running it the last couple of days. Excellent. Well, best of luck to you there, and maybe you ought to check out uh, George McKay on Raw Faith down in Rockland Harbor sometime. Uh, he had the same dream to take uh, handicapped people sailing because of his daughter, and uh, that's suffering uh, some difficulties right now. George is still down in uh, Rockland Harbor uh, trying to get new masts. The last time he tried to get out of the Gulf of Maine, he was dismasted for the second time. Anyway, Howard, excellent. Good for you. And uh, Guinness Book of Records, I mean, how many people can brag they're in that sucker? It's pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, Nokomis is known for its band and sports. 
So it's in my taxidermy. Uh, we make the news every now and then. But You teach taxidermy at the high school as well? Yes. No kidding. We need to talk more. I used to I stuffed a couple birds when I was young with no, no great success. But anyway, <laughs> excellent teacher. Uh, you know, uh, uh, great stuff, Howard. We are doing boat talk here this morning. We are, what, two-thirds through it. It's 20-odd uh, of the hour. And the number here this morning? one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. We have a lot of activities going on in the area, um, boating-related. We should probably announce those. Yeah, the Bean Supper Bulletin Board or the Boat, boat Supper Bulletin yeah. Board here. Down in Brooklyn, there's going to be a, a forum to discuss the challenges of uh, boat building. And it's going to be several great boat builders from the area are going to be talking it up on uh, Monday, July 31st from 7 till 9 p.m. at the Brooklyn School. There's going to be uh, Wade Dow and uh, Richard Duffy, Nate Hopkins, Doug Hyland, Byron Reef, Steve White, and it's all going to be narrated by Bill Mayer. So it would be a pretty interesting forum. We ought to That's try to- the uh, Friends of Brooklyn uh, or some such organization. And what they do is they get together and they're uh, trying to acquaint everybody in the town with everybody else and what they do. And boat building, of course, is huge down in Brooklyn. Uh, Wooden Boat Magazine, Brooklyn Boat Yard, Brian, you know, Brian Reef, Atlantic Boat, all in places, Wade Dow, uh, Eric Dow. Eric Dow is selling 12-and-a-half-foot uh, havens to people he sold to to Japan. The mayor of Tokyo has bought a wooden 12-and-a-half-foot haven from Eric Dow out of Brooklyn, Maine. Huh. How do you like that yeah. for, for uh, globalization, global trade? How much other global trade happening down in Brooklyn, you ask yourself? <laughs> and his boats are beautiful. He does oh, top He uh, does a beautiful job. Absolutely top-notch, yeah. yep. So that's pretty cool. And there's also a talk tonight in Blue Hill, I believe, there, Alan. Pull that one out? Yeah. Yes. Oh, Matt Murphy, not... Not the WERU, Matt Murphy. This is Wooden Boats, Matt Murphy. We'll uh, present a talk on a, on a book that's called Glass Plates and Wooden Boats. A lot of uh, great uh, photographs of uh, old boats from the late 1800s and the early 1900s. And it's a, it's a book that's being put out by Wooden Boat Magazine. You've spent a little time in Marblehead, haven't you, Giffy? Yes, and that, uh, that photographer was... Uh Named Jackson, pretty well-known photographer. Willard Jackson, yes. Yeah, and I, uh, as a youngster, very small kid, I remember the man, and uh, particularly for his powerboat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, wonderful photographer. Yeah. And uh, I recently went to the Peabody Museum to see um, uh, an exhibit of his photographs there, and. Uh, just an excellent show. Mm-hmm. Peabody Museum in Salem, Massachusetts, Salem, not to be missed by anybody who likes uh, boats and, and uh, yeah. Yeah. the artifacts involved. We do have another caller. Cool. Let's, Who's let's there? Go that. Hi. Good morning. Hi. I'm calling to let folks know that um, if you visit Lake George Regional Park in Canaan, Skowhegan area, they used to have handicapped fishing available. I don't know if they still do. It's, it's shoreland fishing, but it's still another opportunity for folks in wheelchairs. Like a float they can roll out uh-huh. onto? Excellent. Uh-huh. So Excellent. folks might want to think about that. Now, where's this again? It's in Canaan, Skowhegan. Canaan, yeah. Skowhegan. Yeah. Lake George Regional Park. Great. Well, thank Great. you for that Thanks. information. Bye. Here's another uh, boat artifact that I'm uh, taking quite a great liking to. It's a book called uh, Zeb. Celebrated schooner captain of Martha's Vineyard. Uh, Zeb was born in 1867. He was the last person under commercial sail in Massachusetts, died in 1952. 
was uh, most associated with the schooner Alice Wentworth. And uh, he was an extremely large, extremely strong, kind of rough, cross-eyed man. And uh, he was also irresistible to women. Uh, Zeb said he was in six wars, the Spanish-American, World War I, World War II, and he's married three times, you know. <laughs> so, uh, and he had the sailor's prerogative of a girl in every port, and, uh, you know, he wasn't shy about that. This is a wonderful book filled of uh, great old pictures. Among others, Alfred I, uh, Eisenstadt and Morris Rosenfield, and uh, great uh, period pictures. It's uh, Zeb celebrated Schooner Captain of Martha's Vineyard by Polly Burroughs. Zeb was, um, like I said, fantastically strong. He wasn't too fussy. If he was hauling coal, the uh, biscuits would be gray. If he was hauling uh, bricks, they'd be pink, you know. He was seen uh, carrying a 600 pound anchor up the street one time back to the vessel. Um, one of my other favorites scraped all the paint off the deck, and that guy got old after a while. So when it come to the hatches, he spread some gasoline over them, got some buckets of seawater, threw a match, and as soon as the paint was was blazed off, and the things were dry, he painted them. It was paint remover, Zeb style. He <laughs> could tell where he was by taste of Long Island Sound and uh, Vineyard Sound and stuff. And I got two favorites right here, uh, pretty quickly. One was the. Uh, the shipyard bill was always far beyond the most careful estimate. Zeb's eyes pulled in towards his nose. That's when he was thinking close, you could tell, because his eyes would straighten out. His eyes pulled in towards his nose, and his huge hand curled around his chin as he examined it slowly and carefully. I think that pencil you got must be split, he muttered to the boatyard guy, because every time you write down one, it comes out two. Cost, however, was unimportant when it came to caring for the Alice Wentworth. To Zeb, money was to be used and not counted. Like getting the full benefit of the tide, he wanted to make the most of every living moment. And here's another, uh, here's one of my favorites. On one occasion, while navigating through Nantucket shoals, a fog began to roll in until, as Zeb often said, you could lean on it, cut it, and stack it on the deck. The wind dropped and the sails hung flat. Heavy dew dripped from the rigging and the smell of salt and wet, raw lumber clung to the deck. Only a ripple of the canvas and a brief puff of air and the occasional rattle of a mast hoop and the swirl of the water around the rudder interrupted the mournful moan of the foghorn. Manuel, the mate, posted himself forward. Now, Manuel didn't really know how to sail the boat. Zeb would always teach him, try to teach him the points of the compass, and he couldn't get it. And Zeb said to Manuel one time, Manuel, what are you going to do if I die? And Manuel thought about it and says, Geez, Zeb, I guess I'll die too. So anyway, Manuel goes up forward, and he posts himself with the lead line and the horn, this time certain they'd run aground or hit another vessel which could loom up, loom up so suddenly uh, in the fog. If you see anything, holler, Zeb called to Manuel. They had ghosted along for only a few minutes. They're going across the Nantucket Shoals. When Manuel urgently shouted aft, Ducks ahead, Zeb. Well, be they walking or swimming? They're walking, Zeb. Walking, the lad cried in alarm. Hard to leave, Zeb called, and he swung the wheel just as he felt the bottom. Manuel trimmed the jibs while the skipper finished the last verse of his favorite song. Zeb always claimed he could spin the Norris around like the button on a back on an outhouse door. <laughs> Zeb celebrated schooner captain of Martha's Vineyard. Uh, little coffee table. There's other, uh, there's other books out about it. Yeah, this was a 1972 book that's been reprinted, yeah. and I just loved I, uh, it. I loved it. There's another old skipper that I knew, and his name was Hall. He came from Sandy Point, and he sailed a schooner all by himself. Whoa. And during the war. Uh, I can't remember the, the vessel he had. I don't know whether, can't remember her name. Maddie. Yeah, he had the Maddie. And during World War II, came into Gloucester, and uh, 
the Coast Guard deemed he and his vessel unseaworthy because he was sailing her along. Oh dear. Around, I think you, I can't remember, Matt, Matt E. now called the Great Bailey. And, and uh, he was sailing her along with cargo, and they, they wouldn't let him go out. They told him he couldn't, couldn't, couldn't go. How'd he get there? So, well, and so yeah, the old-timer just waited until the fog shut in thick one night, and he got. <laughs> Where's he got? <laughs> I did that. And after that, they kind of threw up their hands and didn't bother him anymore. Like I said, how'd he get there if he yeah. wasn't fit to sail? Yeah. Uh, we, have a, we have another phone call. So yep. let, let's get to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hey, uh, speaking of sailing alone and speaking of storms on lakes and uh, I've got a, a point of sale question. If, if you were to want to reef your sails uh, when you're out sailing alone, you know I know how to reef the sails, but but if you're out there already in the lake, and uh, what do you do? Do you head up in the wind? And somebody should head be up, steering yes. the boat, according to theory. Um, you know, uh, head up into the wind is is uh, where you do your best work there. But of course, if you head up into the wind and then go forward to reef the sail, the boat's going to fall off sideways, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, the uh, best crew we ever take on any of our boat deliveries is the autopilot, for one thing, but I don't suppose your little dinghy's going to have one. So, uh, you know, you can always tie the tiller, um, jam it with a stick like they used to do on Zeb's schooner there, um, or, uh, you know, like you say, uh, take your lumps when you've fallen off there and, and learn to be quick about it, because yeah. it can be a trick. And you lose your perspective of which way you're pointing pretty quick after you uh, fall off there. Things start rocking, and it gets stupid fat. It can, can it? And the other thing is, uh, is there a lot of sense to head towards shore if you're in a deep water situation where the shore might be the only hazard around you? Um, uh, when you're... If, uh, if the weather's picking up, yeah. Um, yeah, I would say so. I, I, um, you know, and, and shall, a kayak is a great thing because it goes in shallow water. Lakes scare me because there's no charts for them. Um, shallow water scares me in sailboats. Chesapeake Bay is only 20 feet deep. When I see 20 feet around here, I start to worry. So, you know. Yeah. Um. Actually, I'm thinking of taking my sailboat up to Moosehead and it's, Seems to be plenty deep, but I'm just thinking, you know. Plenty deep. Uh, we were talking about this the other week. I'll tell you what scares me is a lake and uh, inland protected uh, seas like uh, Delaware Bay and Buzzards Bay and stuff. Moosehead Lake gets some fantastically difficult waves, very short and very steep. And your boat in between these short, steep waves hardly knows where to go and what to do. Mm. And that's the biggest danger yeah, in the I lake. There's no reason for him to have any trouble up there if he watches the weather yeah, a little absolutely. bit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just common sense. Watch, watch the weather a little bit. Yeah, and don't be aware uh, of it. And at least have maybe even uh, resort to such a thing as a weather forecast for the general area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little uh, camp cruising, day sailing. What are you thinking? Yeah, I got a Rhodes eighteen and oh, lovely. to take it up there and a Rhodes eighteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, perfectly it's capable. Perfectly good boat. Yeah. yeah one, one thing I've noticed lake sailing around is a lot of people who who live on a, one lake or another will mark rocks by uh, putting a, a plastic bottle uh, moored to the top of the rock. So if you're out in the middle of a lake and you see a, a bottle floating around there, don't just assume that it's just a, a loose bottle floating around. It may actually be marking a rock. Gosh, I thought it was a crab pot. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of private ma- private marks in the lake. We have one out in front of our place, and I rode into it the other day in the neighbor's aluminum boat, and I ended up 
in the bilge on my back laughing like hell and uh, I couldn't get up. It was <laughs> it was kind of funny because there was really no danger there. We were 10 feet from shore. but best way to mark them is with a little bottom paint. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, propellers. propellers I um, was able to say for a long time as a professional, I'd never hit anything, you know, and I was pretty proud of that. And then I finally did, and I used to meet the owner in between his plane and the boat, and uh, I'd leave him a note. I couldn't tell him that I'd hit that rock, you know. I had to leave it in a note, and I couldn't uh, admit it to the boatyard when they hauled the boat that there was something to see there, you know. And I was just totally saying, and the owner, when I finally told him that, he said, jeez, my, can't tell you all the things I hit, he says. He says, what do you mean you never hit anything? He says, don't worry about that, you know, just go for it. And okay, I'm, I'm trying to get over that, but best of luck to you in Moosehead Lake. Yeah, and before the show's over, I think we have to go into the little eating crow department here. Last last month, we had a caller call up and wanted to talk about cattail boats, and uh, both Mike and I gave him the sort of the big laugh, you know, what are you talking about cattail boats? Bob from Searsmont. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bob, you out actually, there, Bob? Were you pulling our leg, Bob? No, he was true that the uh, Native Americans, especially on the West Coast, have been making cattail boats for hundreds and hundreds of years. They're called tool boats, T-U-L-E. But they're basically made with cattail reed bundles and made into big, long cigar shapes. And then they'll tie uh, either three or five of these bundles together to make sort of a canoe shape. And those are good for uh, about two or three weeks before they get so soggy they don't float anymore. But they, uh, they uh, were cheap and worked. And so there you go. There is such a thing as a cattail well, boat. Well, the natives down on, on the lakes in South America did essentially the same yeah. thing. And... Uh, it's not unheard of in that that area. Yeah. Bob again uh, said it was cattailboats.com. We didn't get any uh, joy out of the out of the uh, computer with that. And he also said he wanted to seize it up with hemp fiber and sail it to Newfoundland. Best of luck, Bob. And if you're out there, uh, you know, call us back if well, you're if you're serious. We're interested. And if you're not, it's a uh, pretty good fun too. Correct so. me if I'm wrong, but I believe tarred marlin. It really is hemp. I couldn't say. To I tell think you the it's, truth. it's been around for hundreds yeah. of years. But I don't like to encourage people to do things that are a little bit on the foolhardy <laughs> side. Either. Yeah. Where were you when I needed you? Yeah. Where, yeah. And uh, and people do things and think that uh, you know some merchant ship is going to come along and save them, or the coast guard is going to come save them. Mm. And that costs somebody else a lot of grief and money. It's like one of my favorite things, complaints, is people who want to go and climb very, very dangerous mountains. And it happens out on these mountains all the time. And then somebody else has got to go risk their life to save them. And I don't, think that, I don't think that's right. I think yeah. you need got to be responsible for what you do with your boat. Right. We do have one more phone call right before the end of the show, so we'll get to that quickly. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, Michael. Just wanted to say I really enjoyed your show as usual, and um, I, the guy with the Rhodes 18 kind of touched a, a nerve with me because it was one of the most fun boats I ever owned many years ago. And um, if he's got the centerboard version... Um, and he's intrepid enough to convert the rudder, which is the only deep part of the boat, to a kick-up rudder. That thing will sail in a teaspoonful of water. And uh, we, um, we, we beached ours many, many times down around the Buzz's Bay area just by yanking the rudder. We never did convert the rudder. We talked about it, but, but yanking the rudder out and, you know, sailing the last part right up to the beach. And the thing will float next to nothing, and it's a, one hell of a fun boat to, to sail on. Yeah. And uh, 
So, yeah, it's a great boat. It's stable, it points well, and it's very predictable. And uh, we had a reef point in ours, which uh, <laughs> in Buzzers Bay you need quite often. And, um, yeah, good luck to them. I think that would be a wonderful place to sail because um, I don't think they have much fog up there. Mike, by the way, Mike, the book you were trying to remember last month, um, you touched another chord with me because Nathaniel Philbrick is one of my favorite right. authors. Uh, sea of Glory is the book. Exactly, you were trying to that think was of. it. And his the, new the one. X, the XX ex- expedition. Yeah, great Mr. story. Mr. Wilkes, the impossible martinet. <laughs> well, in 1830, uh, when the South Seas were still unknown, and of course he just wrote a new one called uh, Mayflower, which is just excellent. Well, I went to buy that, but I, I, you know, I sort of gagged on the hardcover price. I'm waiting for library. Library, you can get library. a library loan. Library from, will get you anything you want. Yeah, you pay the postage, you can get a library loan from any any uh, book in the state of Maine. Is how yeah. I approach it. Yeah, but, once in a while I want some book that's a little on the rare side and they'll produce it from the state library. I can't believe they won't let you take books home from the bookstore and just bring them back, but they don't. (laughs) (laughs) I can't understand. I don't even like to go in, tell you the truth. (laughs) How's the summer down at at your boatyard in Stonington? Good. Things are finally quieting down a little. And uh, it's it's a good thing. So I'm hoping to get a little boat in the water myself and do a little sailing myself. That was the next question. Good, Good for you. Have at it. Well, hope you all are able to get out on the water. This is the time. It's also the time for us to say goodbye for Boat Talk this week, this, week, this month. And thanks to Giffy Full for coming in again. And thanks for thanks to Howard Witten, who uh, now has the world Guinness record for the world's longest canoe. Joel Mann in the wheelhouse doing the engineering. And uh, theme music this morning. It's not by I love it. It's uh, Johnny Hoy and the Bluefish Johnny doing Hoy. the Sloop John B. And they will be coming by for a dance down in Northport. On Friday. Yeah. Stay tuned for Jim Bahoosh coming up next on The Wing and WERU-FM Blue Hill 89.9, 102.9 in Bangor. Talk is made possible in part by Atlantic Challenge, home of the Apprentice Shop 